0: Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions, please email us at info at If you would like to support this ministry financially, visit us at capitalchristian.com and click the Give button in the top right corner. How many of you have loved this series, this Giving Up series during Lent that Pastor Chris has been preaching on? It hasn't been phenomenal. Everybody I've talked to um, will be at church staff prayer, and we just can't stop thinking about these messages, meditating on uh, what Pastor Chris has been um, teaching on. So it's a little bit of pressure, I'm not going to lie. I'm not nervous ever getting in front of people, but today I was telling Shane, I'm like, it's a lot of pressure to follow up Pastor Chris the last few weeks. It has been so good. And um, so impactful, and I really have been working on the practices. Have you been each week like practicing um, what Pastor Chris has been talking about? So last week he talked about pride. If you did not hear that one, giving up pride, uh, you can go online and listen to it. And I highly encourage, even if you already did listen to it last week, go back and listen to it. Right? Um, but it's been it's been an amazing series leading up to Easter in two weeks. Um, and we are so excited here at Capitol about what God's going to do in our lives, in our families. You know what's so great about Easter is it's one of the only weeks out of the year that you can bring your unsaved friends, your family members that aren't that close to Jesus. They'll, for whatever reason, they'll come on Easter. And um, so we're just tilling the ground, right? We're getting it ready for all of our friends and family to come and hear about the gospel. Just two weeks away. It's crazy, right? Uh, but today we're going to continue our Giving Up series during Lent And um, today we're going to talk about giving up, drum roll, are you excited, what's it going to be, are you like anticipating, I mean impatience, that was hard, Uh, comparison, pride, we've been giving up a lot of things. This week we're going to talk about giving up discontentment. We're going to work on giving up our ideals of what happiness is, what joy is, and we're going to give up discontentment. Are you ready for that one today? All right, if you would open your Bibles or join me in reading, we're going to go to the Gospel of John, chapter 15, starting in verse 1. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear what? More fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's read that one more time. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This is a great thing to highlight in your bible when you start thinking you can work out your own problems and all the things going on in your life. Just go back to John 15 verse 5 and go, "Oh, no, I'm wrong." Because apart from from Jesus, I can do nothing. Verse 6, "If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned." If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. We love this verse, don't we? We think this is the greatest verse in the Bible. Ask whatever I want, Lord, and you're going to give it to me. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. The key verse, the verse of the day, the verse we're going to learn about, the verse we're going to talk about, the verse we're going to memorize, and the verse we're going to say all throughout the week is this. Verse 11, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. All right, would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the sun that's shining, even though so many of our friends are in Mexico and other warmer places than this, and we woke up to snow this week in 30 degrees. Lord, we still thank you that your truth remains, that you're still here, you still love us, and you're going to speak to us today. You're going to encourage us, and God, you are going to teach us how to give up discontentment so we can take up true joy in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, have you ever has anyone ever asked you the question or um, posed this thought about finding your happy place has that ever happened to you this is a term a lot I think in modern psychology um, you see it a lot on television shows and uh, it's kind of a thing right it's like oh find your happy place. Um, and I don't know if I necessarily agree that that's going to solve your problems, but I certainly do have a happy place in my mind. If someone was to ask me that question, I have that place. And it's actually more, it's not really a place as much as it's a moment in time. Have you ever had this where there's a moment or something happened in your life and you always want to go back to it because it's like the happiest you ever felt or something? You know, for some of you, it's, I don't know, maybe it's your wedding day, maybe it's uh, your birth, I don't think you could remember that, but I mean... I don't know. Maybe you're a genius. Uh, for me, I, I, it's, a, it's a moment. It's a holiday. And it's one specific holiday that I go back to. Now, I'm going to tell you what my favorite holiday is. It's the 4th of July. And I know that might offend some people in here because I just got done saying Easter is two weeks away. I am a pastor. I should like Easter and Christmas. Those should be my favorite holidays. But let me explain why 4th of July is my favorite holiday. I'm a pastor's kid, okay? And now I work in ministry Christmas and Easter are work days for us, right? You all love it because you don't work on those days. You enjoy the beauty that we provide for you. But growing up as a pastor's kid, my parents were exhausted on Christmas and Easter, right? We go to church, we went to all the services, and it was awesome, and I loved it. I never had an Easter egg hunt. Not one time did I go pick up eggs in a in a grass field. That is why my mom started the Easter egg hunt, because I'm convinced she felt guilty all of her life because her children's, her children never had that. So you're welcome, church, that your kids get to have an Easter egg hunt because of my, like, inability or my lack of having an Easter egg hunt because I'm sure I made my mom feel bad about it all her life so far. So I go to the Easter egg. I think it's, like, my Easter egg hunt. I'm convinced. I'm, like, running around, like, give me candy. Um, Christmas and Easter are great holidays. I love them. They're the greatest days in human history, and especially the Christian story. However, they are not really my favorite holidays. The Fourth of July, by far, bar none, great Americans love the Fourth of July. Anybody with me? And it was probably because my parents—we didn't work so much on the Fourth of July. It's in summer. There's nothing better than an Idaho summer night. Are you with me? Like, it's the greatest thing in the world. This place we live in, Idaho. So I love the 4th of July. Well, I, a few years ago, moved to Los Angeles. I was pastoring a, a church down there. And then two summers ago, I moved back to Idaho after the chaos of LA traffic and just the chaos that is Los Angeles. Any of you who lived in Southern California, you know it. And I was coming back to the slow-paced, simple, refreshing, big sky, open air of Boise, Idaho. And it was in the summertime, and it was right before my favorite holiday of the year, the 4th of July. So I was so excited. So if someone wants to ask me what's your happy place, I immediately go to this place in my mind. It was two summers ago. Uh, We started this new tradition with some of my friends. I think I begged for it. I was like, let's all, because I come back to Idaho and I want to be a true Idaho girl again. So I'm like, let's do all the Idaho things, you know, besides camping, because I've never done that. And I still don't get it. But it's awesome that you do. Um, Or hunting, actually. So actually, I don't do a lot of Idaho things at all. (laughs) I fished once and I was good, so I've counted that all my life. But I wanted to go whitewater rafting because we have some of the best whitewater in the world. So we got some friends, all of us. We went white rod rafting to um, inaugurate the Fourth of July weekend. So that's the first thing we do. And you guys, it was like amazing. The water was like class five rapids. There were bald eagles flying everywhere. You don't see bald eagles on the uh, on the 101 in Los Angeles. You don't. You don't know about whitewater rafting. You don't know these things. So I'm sitting there enjoying it. I mean, it is bald eagles and these friends of mine had come in from out of town and one almost died, you know, because he was, he was a rookie. He's not from Idaho. He didn't understand the power of the whitewater and the river. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't have a holy fear for the river like us Idahoans did. So it was like my adrenaline's going. It was like the greatest day of my life. Then, we, after we got down Whitewater, we head up to um, the camp because we do a family camp here at Capitol over the 4th of July up at our campground in Faith Heights. So we head up to the campground, and this is just the day couldn't get better, right? Like, I'm just living the dream on this beautiful, sunny, warm day. Then we go out on the lake, Lake Cascade, up on our campground, and I'm, we're hot on the boat, and it's like perfect conditions to be on a boat, Um I'm not good at a lot of things, right? I just, I like to do a lot of things, but if I could be great at one thing in my life, it's not preaching, it's not doing anything ministry-related, as terrible as that sounds. Really, what I'd love to be great at is wake surfing. In fact, I'd love to be a professional wake surfer. If I could give up everything, it would be this. Am I great? No, but I enjoy it with every part of me. So we're out on the boat. It's perfect wake surfing conditions. I'm out there wake surfing. I'm just like, this, this is like, this is heaven. This is true joy. This is happiness incarnate, you know? Like, does, what does that even mean? That's not even a true statement. But I'm just so thrilled, right, by this moment. And uh, then the sun starts to set, and there is the most, to this day, the greatest sunset I've ever seen in my life. If you, if any of you were with us at family camp two years ago, you know what I'm talking about. The most beautiful sunset of all time. Oh my gosh, they have a picture of it. This is not filtered. There's no filter on this picture. It was breathtaking. We're on the boat. Everyone's like at our campground. Like people are crying. It's so beautiful, I'm sure. Um, we're overwhelmed by the glory of God from the sunset. So we're like out on the water. Then up at, up at um, Faith Heights or um, at the, on Lake Cascade, they do a fireworks show just like they do in McCall, like they do in Boise. So there's this great fireworks show. Well, I hadn't seen it for a few years because I have been living in Los Angeles where in order to, f- to go see fireworks, you'll be in traffic for 14 hours to get there and 14 hours to get home. So you just stay home and watch it on TV, you know? So I hadn't seen fireworks for a while. So we're on this boat. All of a sudden, the fireworks are going off. It's the most magical thing I've ever seen, right? I'm just like, with all my friends, my family, this is the greatest day of my life. Um, so I, it was the best in my, in my mind, 4th of July is my happy place. That 4th of July. Well, fast forward a year later, we go back and I'm like, oh my gosh, the 4th of July's here again. This is going to be the greatest thing ever. We did the whitewater trip, whitewater rafting trip. There were no bald eagles. Uh, nobody almost died. So my adrenaline wasn't as high. The, the rapids were a little bit smaller. It felt like we get to the campground The boat, we can't even take the boat out because it was like, Scott, you're with the, were you there, Scott? Who was there? Shane, you were there. We couldn't even go out on the boat because it was like white caps. It was so stormy. It was like taking a boat on the ocean. So we were like, can't even wake, surf. I'm sitting on the beach, like, well, this isn't fun. Like, last year was so much more fun than the fireworks shows about to go off. So we get in the boat, we're gonna, I'm trying to recreate this great moment, right? All I remember this time is I'm being totally, like, victimized by mosquitoes. Like, my entire body is being, like, sucked the life out of by mosquitoes. And then my nieces and nephews are crying because they don't want to be on the boat. And they want to go home. And the fireworks show, this is the best part. The fireworks show was so anticlimactic. Nobody knew when the grand finale had happened. Like, we're sitting there like, was that it? Wait. Or should we wait? Should we clap? No one knew what to do because it just wasn't the same. Somebody had messed up. This is the thing that makes me, this is what makes me laugh, is that we have this version of happiness and this version of a happy place and this version of joy and this version of contentment that is so easily skewed, isn't it, by circumstances of life. And I think that we do what I did to the 4th of July. We make this moment in time, this place, this idea of what something should be, and we say that's joy. That's happiness. That's what's going to make me complete and have contentment. But here Jesus is teaching us something differently. You can't build your life on these experiences, and you can't build your life on circumstances and hope that it turns out joyful. Because most of the time if you build your life on circumstances, let me tell you, that 4th of July was a great circumstance, right? Everything was great. The next year, it wasn't so much. Because I would built my life On something that wasn't very sustainable. I built my identity of joy, of hope, of just a refreshing time on something that's so easily changed because it's a circumstance. Here Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's basically saying the same thing. He's saying you can build your life on a lot of things or you can abide in me. And then what comes of it is this, that my joy is going to be in you and that your joy is going to be complete. I love it. He says again in John 16. Then we see in John 16, he says, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. So he talks about joy again. Then you fast forward to John 17. Or no, I guess in John 16 again, in that day, did I, just, did I just read that same verse? In that day you will ask nothing of me truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. We love that scripture. Verse 24 says, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Later in chapter 16 is when there's the famous words in the Bible that says, in this world you will have what? Trouble, tribulation. But take heart, I overcome the world. So he just talked about joy in chapter 15, chapter 16. He talked about tribulation and trouble. And then John chapter 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples. He's praying for them. He knows what's up ahead. He knows what's up ahead for himself, and he knows what's up ahead for his followers. And he says this in John 17. He says, "Well, while I was with you, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. That the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So there's this idea that there is trouble, there is circumstances, there is tribulation, as we see that Jesus talks about in the Bible. But it's bookended by this concept and this idea that you can actually find all that you need in this one important word, and it's called joy. But it's the problem is we have a version of what we think joy is. And this is where Jesus is trying to, to describe to his followers, and he's praying for his disciples, because he knows what's ahead of them. He knows what's down the road. There's going to be some persecution. There's going to be torture. There's going to be sickness. There's going to be disease. For some of them, there's even going to be death. But even in that prayer, knowing that, he still says, uh, may you have my joy, and may that joy be complete and full on the inside of you. Because it'll sustain you, and it'll help you get through every bit of life and its circumstances. This is what Jesus is telling disciples, and it's what Jesus is telling us today, is that we can have this complete joy, this full, that this joy could be full in us. This word full, translations say it differently. Many of them will say full. Others say complete. Your joy can be complete you can have something that's complete. My word, nothing in life seems complete. And I love the idea that Jesus can say to us that my joy is going to be in you and that, that joy is going to be complete. It's going to be all that you need. It's going to be lacking nothing. So why are you looking for all these other things to complete you when I already told you I'm completing you? Sorry, Jerry McGuire, you were wrong. No person can complete you. Not even Renee Zellweger or whatever her name was in the movie. My word. But we have colluded with this idea, and we've adopted this. We've adopted this that, oh, something or someone completes me. I'm going to find true happiness, fill in the blank. I will be happy when this happens or this person loves me or my kid is like this and my kid gets into this school or I get this job or I have this amount of money and I have this house and I have these amount of cars and I have all these things and I become a professional wake surfer. <laughs> please, Lord, just I'll preach the gospel and I'll professionally wake serve. It's all I want, Lord, nothing else. But we think that it's these things that will make us complete, that will be full. And Jesus is like, no, if you want to be happy, go get a dog. My dog makes me very happy. He's great because, you know, he doesn't argue with me or make me frustrated. You want to be frustrated, you know, be around people, right? Right? So we're frustrated when people don't complete us and people don't make us happy and we don't have our pure joy. I mean, I've talked to so many people that I went to college with, I grew up with, who, who, are, who have gotten divorces and they've counseled with me and, and almost all the time they'll say this, well, I just I'm just not happy. Well, you got married to a human. What were you expecting? Like, that they're gonna complete every part of you that was sad on the inside? If you're sad on the inside, no person is going to make you happy. And I'll tell this to every young person who thinks, oh, when I get married one day, let me tell you something. Jesus wasn't married. Paul wasn't married. Jesus was the most content human on, in human history. So let me tell you something. If you want a reason to be happy, it's not that. Where are you going to find complete contentment and joy? It's in Jesus and Jesus alone. But we try to fill the void and we try to figure out a way of like having these circumstances all line up the way that we want them to. And then we're going to be fulfilled and then we're going to be full in joy. No, no, no. Jesus makes it really clear in John. No, no, no. It's in me. May you be full of joy because of me. Not because of what you have or what you want or getting all the things that you want. It simply is because of me. Jesus knew what? his disciples were up against. Jesus knows and knew what we were up against. He knew the circumstances. He knew the tragedies. He knew the hurts. He knew the frustrations. And he still prayed over his followers, which includes us today. Ah, may your joy be full. It's complete, lacking nothing, overflowing. It's just no matter the circumstances, you're going to be okay. Now we have another person in the Bible that That gives us a good picture of this. I love when Jesus talks about it, but sometimes I'm like, but Jesus, you're Jesus, you know? But there's another one. Pastor Paul, I love Chris calls him. Pastor Paul, we have the Apostle Paul in Philippians. He's under house arrest as he's writing a letter to the Church of Philippi. This is his last letter that we'll ever get from Pastor Paul. He's late in his life. He's been on a long journey with Jesus, and here he's writing a letter As he's sitting in prison, and it's probably the most joyful book in all the Bible. It's like full of, he says rejoicing, I think, seven or eight, maybe ten times. He's talking about rejoicing, being joyful. The guy, you think he's mad, right? You're like, what's, are you crazy? Like, what's going on, Pastor Paul? You're in prison. You know, Pastor Paul was was nearly to the end of his life. He's older in age. He's He's not as healthy, scholars think, at this time. But he's so happy. And we have this scripture in Philippians 4, starting in verse 10, it says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation, I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret— most translations say the secret of being content. Here we have in the ESV, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then one of the most famous scriptures in all the Bible that you all quote all the time, but you never quoted verse 12, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Paul says. This is amazing. What can we learn from this scripture? What can we learn from Paul about giving up discontentment in our life? How many of you can say, yeah, I might struggle with a little discontentment? You can just put your hand right there if you're really uncomfortable. But for those of us who are real honest, our hands are high in the sky, right? Not everything in our life is perfect the way we want it to be. Paul teaches us something in Philippians 4. First, he says this, I learned to be content. I learned. Oh, man, that's the best thing I've read in the Bible. Why? Because it didn't happen overnight. Thank God. You know how encouraging that is for me? I'm a slow learner sometimes, right? I don't get it right away. I I don't wake up tomorrow and I'm content. I got it. Nailed it. Going to win this one. Nothing's going to get me down. And then all of a sudden your circumstances come like like punching you and knocking you out. And then you're like, no, I'm still content. No, it's learned, Paul got saved on the road to Damascus. Remember this? He was on the road to Damascus, has that great encounter with God. It was 14 years later. 14 years. Now, some of you get mad when things don't happen for you in five seconds. 14 years was the training Paul went through before he started preaching the gospel. Why? He wasn't ready? I don't know. Or perhaps, maybe, He was needing that time to be trained and prepare for what God had for him. We hate preparing. We hate training. We don't like to do anything that takes us any amount of time. But Paul understands the importance of learning, of training, of preparing. If you're going to get to the goal, if you're going to get to the place that you need to be, there's going to be a season of training and of preparing and, frankly, of not doing everything you want to do, how you want to do it, when you want to do it. Paul, the great apostle Paul, we read his letters, we think it's amazing. 14 years learning about Jesus. And we don't even like to go to our small groups. We're like, oh my gosh, it's an eight-week session? My God, that's exhausting. Right? Oh my God, we have, Easter is going to be a Good Friday service, and then Easter and then you throw on the Easter egg hunt? We don't want to prepare. We don't want what Jesus is saying is going to lead us to the full joy. Pastor Paul shows you got to learn. It doesn't happen overnight. Just, just abide in me. Spend time with me. Get to know me. Get, make sure you come every week to church. Talk to people. Get in community. Go to a small group. You're going to learn to be like me. It's a process. It's a journey. And then the next thing he teaches us is Paul tells us he learned to be content in any and every circumstance. In any and every. When I read in any and every, that means there was a variety of circumstances God put Paul through or God allowed Paul to go through. Any and every. So you're you're not saying in just good circumstances, right? You're not saying the stuff I like and the people I like to be around. So God, you're saying that Sometimes when I'm around people that annoy me, that's part of any and every circumstance and you're training me. Yeah, it's actually one of the major ways that God is teaching us contentment. So you're saying when I'm sick and I'm suffering? Yeah, I am. So you're saying when my bank account is full? Absolutely. And you're saying when my bank account is depleted? Yep, absolutely. You're saying when I'm healthy and strong? Yep. You're saying I'm sitting in a hospital bed? Absolutely. Absolutely. In any and every situation and circumstance, he learned to be content. We have to allow God to use those situations and those circumstances in our life to train us, to teach us, to grow us. You're going to be more happy and holy than you've ever been in your life when you let God take those situations and transform them and sanctify them and use it to mature us and to transform us from the inside out. But if you choose your version of joy and your one Fourth of July to base the rest of your life on and to build your entire identity in, guess what's going to happen when bad things happen? You're going to be overwhelmed. This is one thing that Christians struggle with, I think, the most. Christians struggle in believing bad things do happen to Christians. Well, you say, well, no, I believe that. Do you really? Or do you get so mad when a bad situation happens in your life? Oh. I'm a Christian. I go to church, I read my Bible. Why is this happening to me? Because you think that Christianity makes you immune to the world and to the evil that exists in this world. It does not. If C.S. Lewis says this, he goes, "If you want a comfortable life, don't become a Christian. Christianity does not make you immune to the evil that, that is in within our world. What Christianity does do, why you do want to come to Christianity is because it will make you complete and you will find full joy in it. And more importantly, just like Paul, you will find that you are in Christ. When you're a Christian, you will not be alone in your circumstances. you will not be alone when bad things happen and you can sing like we were singing today. You are good, you are good. oh my gosh, you're good. Because this is the thing about God, and this is the thing that we struggle with, I think quite often, is that when bad things happen, we just we think this, this God can't be in this. Nothing good can come out of this. I, I disagree. I actually think that God can do so much good in our bad situations and our bad circumstances through suffering, through sickness, through pain, through loss, through grief, through hurt. All the things. Come at us and try to steal our joy and our contentment and our happiness. God just says, no, you know why you want to be a Christian? Because it's true and it's complete and I'm with you. That's why we want to be Christians. Not because we're immune to this. And Paul's telling us, guys, Jesus told us in John, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be tribulation, but take heart. I'm with you. This is what Paul learned from Jesus and what Paul is teaching us today this doesn't matter circumstance God's with you he 's still good and this is what we have to learn if we want to move into and get rid of and give up discontentment he learned it he learned in any and every cir- cir- circumstance and situation and the other important thing about the scripture is this understanding of this just this word contentment this wasn't a foreign word to the readers as Paul's writing this in fact. Contentment was a very uh, popular Greek philosophy of the day. and the Stoics were one that used contentment quite a bit in their teaching and their philosophy and what they trained those of ancient times at this time, first and second century. But their idea of, of contentment was very different than Paul's, and certainly of Jesus. Stoics believed that it was you got contentment by self-sufficiency. Use your own resources and make yourself happy. Now listen, the world is out of control. This is what the Stokes would say. The world is out of control. You can't control anything. You can control yourself. So what you're going to do is you're going to grow into what they would call total indifference. You are going to learn how to just be, this is contentment. You're going to learn how to be completely indifferent to the things going on in this world. How do you do that? Well, it's simple. Uh, One writer says it, one writer um, says, I don't, it, it becomes an I don't care attitude. This is what their version of, sto, of contentment is. I don't care attitude. Like, don't worry. One writer says it like this. Begin with a cup or a household utens- utensil. If it breaks, say, I don't care. Go on to a horse or a pet dog. Oh my gosh, this breaks my heart. If my little pet dog, Agassiz, he can never die. But it, go on to a horse or dog. If anything happens to it, say, I don't care. I don't care. I'm good. Go on to yourself, and if you're hurt or injured in any way, just say, I don't care. And if you go on long enough, and if you try hard enough, you'll come to a still, or you'll come to a state when you can watch your nearest and your dearest suffer and die, and you say, I don't care. It was a complete numbness to the realities of the world. Now, Paul's coming to say, listen, no, no, no. He's Christianizing contentment. He's going to Christianize this. It's not about self-sufficiency. It's about Christ-sufficiency. It's not about denying the realities of the world. If you get a bad doctor's uh, report, you don't go, I didn't get a bad doctor's report. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. Rush it under the rug. Nope, nope. Devil, get behind me. No, you had a bad report from the doctor. Paul is saying, no, 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 no. We're not going to, I don't care it away or become numb to the realities. What we're going to do is we're going to face the one who is in control of everything because I don't have control It's about Christ's sufficiency. So when you look to Jesus, and as Paul says over and over and over again in his letters, he says, I'm what? In Christ. You know what he's saying when he says, I'm in Christ? He's saying, I'm totally dependent on him. It's not total indifference. It's total dependence. This is the difference. And Paul says, listen, bad things will happen, but God is good, and God is in complete control of your circumstances, So when you get overwhelmed, don't go to the stoic view. Don't don't grab this and attach yourself to this idea and this wrong concept. Grab onto Jesus. Look to Jesus. Christ's sufficiency. Be dependent on him and him alone. Because he's the only one who can control an uncontrollable situation. This is what Paul is teaching us, is to trust that God is in control. I have a good friend who um, is a professional athlete and he, he's new to the Lord when I was pastoring in Los Angeles, he came to our campus quite a bit when he was in town, and he, um, he, I, I noticed I'd go to, he was a golfer, and I noticed I'd go to his, what do you call them, matches? What do you call them? I don't know, is that how you, what do you call it? Is it a match? Tournament? My God, I've been to so many of them. Don't edit that one out of the podcast. Um <laughs> I went to his I'd go to his tournaments and he you know if he lost, he we'd all be out to dinner with a bunch of these other golfers and other golfers that lost were like down. You like didn't want to talk to them. You're like, oh, I'm not talking to him. This particular guy, he'd be like laughing, telling jokes. He was totally fine. I'm like, how do you, how are you so fine after you lost you didn't make the cut. Look, I did know something about golf. There you go. Didn't make it to Sunday. Um <laughs> So I'd ask him, I'm like, How, you know, how is it that you feel this way? And he he had this philosophy. He's like, Well, I just have this philosophy. I'm like, just forget it. But it wasn't forget. It was another word that starts with the same letter before that. New to Jesus. I'm telling you, I prefaced. He's new to the Lord. You got to love him, you know, love him to Jesus. Um, and then you tell him, oh, maybe we shouldn't say that word. Uh, but he'd be like, just, you know, forget it. And I was like, that's all you do. He had he, he had this attitude, this I don't care attitude, where that's how he processed getting over something. You know what? I think a lot of us do that in life. We have this, we don't realize it, but I don't care. Forget it. No, it's fine. Forget it. I'm not going to think about it and then I'm going to be okay. Jesus comes to, Jesus comes and encounters our problems. He wants us to face our realities and our problems. Jesus is not a denial, like deny it. How do I know this? Because Jesus doesn't even deny reality of pain and suffering and hurt. Neither does Paul. Paul says in 2 Corinthians all about how he was nearly crushed by all life circumstances. Jesus weeps at Lazarus' tomb. This is how I know that Jesus doesn't deny the reality. And Jesus is getting ready to raise Lazarus from the dead. And he's weeping at his tomb. Why? Because he's not numb to the pain of our world. He's not numb to the realities. He doesn't live with this, forget it, I don't care, What he comes to say is in the face of it, in the midst of it, there is someone you can depend on and there is someone who is in control and there's someone who is still good and is still faithful and still loves you. In the midst of that all, that's when you know you're content. So here's the great question. Can I ask myself and all of us this question? Is God still good? Is God still good? When what you want to happen doesn't happen. Let me ask more questions that will be more intense. Is God still good and does God still love you if your child dies? Is God still good? Does God still love you? If you never get married, if you never have kids, if you lose your job, if you go bankrupt, if you lose everything, is God still good? Does God still love you? That's contentment. That's being like Jesus. That's trusting him. If you can't say yes to any one of those questions at any point in venture in our life, guess what? We haven't given up discontentment. We're still relying on a version of joy that is not the version that Jesus comes to tell us. Have you ever done this? Have you ever reminisced of a story from your childhood or something? Like, remember that time that we were on vacation? Remember when mom and dad took us in a motor home all the way to Kentucky? And we stopped at every college campus there was and saw every football field. That's why I'm a college football fan, I think, because we stopped at every single one when I was 15. And this is not important to the sermon nor the story, but all I wanted to do was go to the original Kentucky Fried Chicken on my 15th birthday, but we could not. We went to Cracker Barrel for the 18th time. I'm over it, mom. I'm over it. Just like the Easter egg, huh? C- clearly I'm over it. I was like obsessed with Kentucky Fried Chicken at the time and I heard we were in the place where the original one was and my parents, it's my birthday. I'm like, let's go there. And my family's like, no, we're going to go to Cracker Barrel. Yeah, I'll move on. I'll go to Kentucky Fried Chicken today. Don't worry about it. But you have these stories, right? And you have versions of them. Recently, I was talking to one of my cousins and we were remembering, reminiscing about this story Um, about he had come to visit us and he'd fallen on the ice. And he was, oh, I broke my back, I broke. And he's like crying, he thinks he broke his back. Well, my version of the story is I was horrified and I ran to go get his mom. His version of the story is that he fell on his back and was crying and I laughed at him. (laughs) You choose, you choose which version. Chris Chris had to come and fill in the gaps, and both, both Judah and I were like, oh, we had that story totally wrong. Both of us had our own version of the story. Isn't it funny about joy? Isn't it funny about happiness? Our version of it usually has gaps. And Jesus has to come fill the gaps of our version of what joy is and what contentment is and what happiness is. And this is what we have to do. We have to allow Jesus to come into our version, into our stories and to say, no, 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 that's not happiness. That's not joy. You're not remembering that. That's cute that you think that, but that's not right. This is joy. This is contentment. This is living full and complete, lacking nothing. This is what it is. And Paul tells us, The way you know you're content is that you're in Christ. You're totally dependent on him. You're not dependent on somebody else to make you happy. You're not dependent on a job to give you joy and fulfillment and satisfaction. You're not dependent on how much money you have to make you feel great. Because this is the reality of who we are in the human condition is we just want a lot of things. And what we want is actually what we love. Right? Right? And what you love is what you're gonna get. So if you love something long enough, that's what you're gonna get. So here's what we should do. Love God. I'm not saying don't love your spouse, don't love your kids, don't please don't beat your dog or something. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying above all else and above everything else, love God. Because nothing else is gonna make you happy and make you complete. Only Jesus can say, in me, you can have my joy and my joy will be complete in you and full and you will lack nothing and everything will be great because you have my joy. Your spouse can't do that, your kids can't do that, your boss can't do it, your friends can't do that. A perfect life on Instagram cannot do that. Jesus wasn't about a Pinterest worthy life. He was about loving his father and doing what his father asked him to do. And this is the same thing that Jesus asks us today and do whatever God asks us to do and be totally dependent on him and what he says and what he thinks and what he's going to do in your life, not about what other people can do for you. This is why it's easy for us to use people. It's why it's easy to manipulate people. It's why it's easy for us to be rude and unforgiving and not caring for other people because we still in the back of our minds think, It's how I control situations and how I control people and how things can work the way that I want it to work. That's what's gonna make me happy. You know how your marriage is gonna be strong? You know how your kids are gonna follow Jesus? You know how everything in your life is going to begin to feel stable and complete? It's not by controlling them or your situation. It's by being dependent on God. It's about being and living in Christ. Live in Christ. C.S. Lewis says this, when Satan put into the heads of the remote ancestors was the idea that they could be like gods, could set, up their all, could set up on their own as if they had created themselves, be their own masters, invent some sort of happiness for themselves outside of God, apart from God. And out of that hopeless attempt has come nearly all that we call human history, money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, and even slavery. The long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God, which will make him happy. He concludes by saying this: God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from Himself, because it is not there. There is no such thing as happiness apart from God. What does Jesus say in John fourteen? Apart from me, you can do. Apart from me, you'll never know true joy. Apart from me, you can never fully understand happiness and contentment and what it means to be lacking nothing. The only way we get there is by abiding in him, being in Christ, being totally dependent on him, not letting circumstances just toss us around. Why are Christians so discouraged? Why why are Christians emotionally on a roller coaster? Because they haven't given up discontentment. And they're still looking at their version of happiness as the version. And they need Jesus to come fill in the gaps of their heart, fill in the gaps that have led them to think, this is what's gonna fulfill me, this is what's gonna make me happy, this is what true joy is, and Jesus just laughs. No, 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 none of those things will do it. And you will search aimlessly for the rest of your life until you do this, you just look to God. Come to God for all source of joy and happiness and fulfillment. You wanna be fulfilled in life? You want to be excited. You want to be happy. You want a strong marriage. You want to love your spouse more. Love God more. You want to have patience for your children more. Love God more. You want to get along with your boss and your employees or, or students or a teacher. Love God more. Abide in God. We don't change people. You can't change humans. Good luck. But what we can do is we can change this wrong version that we have of what it means to be complete, to be full, to be content. We can choose to give up discontentment by choosing to abide in God. Abide in his love. And then we really truly can say when something comes after us and someone asks us the question, is God still good? You'll say, absolutely. He's the best thing that's ever happened to me. There's nothing greater in my life than God. Even though you're suffering? Jesus is good. He loves me. His love is unconditional. It's unmatched. I'm so full of hope and joy. That's when you know you've reached contentment. Just like Paul, just like Jesus, no matter what we face, we can trust that God is with us. God is for us. And that he's in control of all circumstances in our life. And he is good all the time. This is our God. So, this is the practice this week. The practice is giving up discontentment. How do we do that? I don't totally know, except for this practicing being dependent on God for your joy. Practice being dependent on God. Don't make your spouse make you happy this week, your children make you happy, your job, or how much money you get. Don't let those be what make you happy this week. Don't give it up. Make God what the one that you are most dependent on to give you joy and to give you fulfillment and to make you complete this week. How do you do that? Spend time with him. And when you leave this place today and your spouse wants to go to one restaurant and you wanna go to the other one, don't lose your mind. It's it's a restaurant one time in your life. Let it go, right? Let it go. When your kids start screaming, remember they're only gonna be screaming for a little while and one day they'll be gone. Encourage yourself in the Lord. (laughs) When your job is maddening and you don't enjoy it, my God, be grateful you have a job. (laughs) And those crazy people that are driving you crazy are probably the reason God has you there in that job to tell them about Jesus. Don't be dependent on circumstances and life situations. Be dependent on God and God alone. And I'll tell you this one thing, and we are so gonna close, is that you will find joy like you've never known and you'll find contentment like you could never imagine and you will preach the gospel through your life to the whole world because you know what the world wants? That. They want to have joy. They want to be happy and they're searching for it in all the wrong places and Jesus says, nah, it's just in me. Find it in him this morning. Would you stand with me as we pray, church? Lord, I just thank you that You really are the source of all life, all hope, all joy, all love. It's only your love, God, that can explain or make account for the suffering of our world, the things and the pain and the hurts of our hearts. Only your love and your goodness can account for the difficulties we face, Jesus. We let everything else be a consolation prize, but it's you that we're after, God. It's you that will fulfill us and complete us and make us whole. And so, Lord, we commit ourselves today, this week, for the rest of our lives to be dependent on you and you alone. You're the source of our joy. You're the source of our life. You're the source of all that we are. And we trust you, Jesus, and we give you our whole hearts and we surrender whatever versions we may have of what we think our life should look like. God, we surrender it to you and we trust you to be the great storyteller and the great story writer and the great narrative of our life. We love you, Jesus, and we trust you with every part of us. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Capital Christian. We hope you will stay connected by following us online. To find out more information, visit us at capitalchristian.com.